Welcome to the Big Mike Fund Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike, Mike Zlatnik, and today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome Tony Javier. Hi, Tony. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Did they pronounce your name correctly? Javier, right? That's the Javier, right Javier, that is correct. Yeah, people butcher it all the time. Xavier, yep, all kinds of stuff, but you did, you did well. Thank you for your understanding and flexibility. I just got to double check because sometimes I mispronounce <laughs> names. And uh, so Tony hails from uh, sunny San Diego and he uh, has a business uh, in Wichita, Kansas. And he's been a real estate investor for uh, over 20 years. And uh, let me turn it over to you. Uh, tell folks a little bit about Tony. Uh, obviously, uh, where you live, uh, family, you know, married kids, cats, pets, whatever, whatever works for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I started 20 years ago um, and uh, I found a course on TV is how I got started. It's called No Down Payment by Carlton Sheets. I think you probably heard of it, Mike, and a lot of other people have uh, that are that have been in the game for a little while. So it, it taught me how to buy properties with no money down. At the time I was waiting, waiting tables uh, in college, you know, doing that whole thing. And then the light bulb went off of like, wow, I can buy a lot of assets very quickly and build a huge net worth and really good cash flow within a short amount of time. At least that's what the system said, right? And so, um, you know, within within I don't know three or four months, I'd bought my first couple properties, had my dad co-sign for me, borrowed a down payment for him from him, and that's where 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 I got started. And so, um, you know, I've got a a flipping business, I've got a rental business. Um, you know, over the years, it's kind of expanded into multiple things. I own some co-working space. Uh, and you said, you, you mentioned I live in San Diego. My my main market is actually Wichita, Kansas. So that's where I started. That's where I have all my real estate or most of my real estate. And I met my wife in 2012 at a Tony Robbins seminar. And, uh, you know, her coming from Ottawa, Canada, which is the capital of Canada, a very nice place. Um, she moved to Wichita, Kansas, and basically said, you know, this isn't for me. Uh, get me out of here. I need to go somewhere else. And I said, hey, I love San Diego. So it just took me a little bit to get my business set up to where it, it ran on its own, and we moved to, to San Diego, California. So that's where that's where I live. Um, I've got a team that that runs my operation out there. Again, I've got flip, flipping company, rental company, co-working space. And so recently, and I say recently, within the last few years, I've started, you know, a bunch of other businesses and, um, you know, getting in the business 20 years ago, having, uh, you know, having no money getting started, I had to find ways to, uh, to get money. And I, and I raised it through private lenders. So my dad was my first private lender co-signed for me and put down the first, you know, down payments for me. Uh, ended up, uh, had a friend in high school who um, inherited a little bit of money. So him and I got together, we did a bunch of deals together. And then just over the years, I've raised, you know, tens of millions of dollars in private money doing deals um, for my deals. You know, I've done close to a thousand flips uh, over the last 20 years. And, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, I started, you know, on the other side, lending money to other real estate investors and helping them get started uh, with projects. So 
that's one of the things that I'm really working on uh, hard now is um, I have a gap funding program where I lend money to other real estate investors uh, as a down payment. And I take an, uh, a second lien position in the properties. And some people say, well, why do you do that? Why don't you do first lien positions? Um, and, and the main reason I do that is probably two or three reasons. One is it's less money out of pocket. Um, so if someone has $200,000, $300,000 deal, I don't have to put a big chunk of money into one deal, right? Um, whereas the down payment for that may only be thirty, forty, fifty, sixty $60,000, right? So that's one reason is to be able to diversify into multiple projects. And then the other thing is, is that I can earn a substantially higher return on my investment by being in that second position. Now, some people say, well, maybe, you know, it's more risky and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, for me, I'm making anywhere from five to 10 times more on second position deals than I would on first position deals. So for me, the risk is worth the reward. Um, so that's kind of where I started 20 years ago and that's kind of where I am now. And, you know, I just love the real estate game. There's so many opportunities in it, whether it's, you know, buying, flipping, investing passively, um, lending, you know, all, all sorts of things. So, um, that's what I do and, and that's what I love and breathe, breathe every single day. Yeah, thank you very much for that introduction and a little bit of history and uh, kind of taking us to the uh, gap funding world. I am very familiar with, with, with that product. And, you know, uh, it, it's interesting uh, that you kind of took us here because let, let's explore this a little further. Um, the gap funding, people ask me, is this a product for you? And I say, I don't have a product uh, that does second lien loans. It's really a relationship. I, I personally... Um, feel that it can work and it does work when you have very strong borrowers who you know, like, and trust because you are taking outsized risk uh, by being in second position. And, um, you know, if you get much higher returns, which it's all about risk adjusted returns, can you capture enough upsides on second with the level of risk you're taking? And uh, in my experience has always been really the people. Um, within first, your primary collateral is the property. You're lending at 75% you know, LTV or 70%, and you have safer, but the rate of return substantially lower. So you could magnify the return, as you said, many times that, but you have to take a um, high level of risk, and some of these some of these deals can go poof. So you, you need to basically earn such a big return so that you can compensate for a few losers you'll have from time to time. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? I mean, that's the, that's the big question. How do you um, underwrite? Because you're really underwriting the borrower or, or the principal uh, to make sure that they operate. Number one, they, they, they got to have the know-how. Number two, they got to have the integrity. Number three, they got to have the ability just to execute because uh, they're basically highly leveraged. They're giving them GIMP money. Their skin in the game is fairly low. So you're basically partnering with them and, um, my other observation, people who uh, take that money, typically, I mean, why they take that expensive money? And there's a reason for this. They don't have the cash. So they don't have the cash. They don't have a strong balance sheet. So just kind of thinking through the process, I'll just talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, there's probably a 10 points that if all 10 points line up, it's a no-brainer deal for me. And I, I won't be able to cover all of them because I, I won't be able to remember off the top of my head. But, you know, there's the, the area the property's in. There's the price point. There's um, the loan to value. How much are you loaning on the property compared to what the property's worth? 
there's the experience of the borrower, how many deals have they've done? If they've done, you know, I've got borrowers that have done hundreds of deals before, but then I've, I've, I'd lend on some deals where, um, they haven't done a deal before. And, you know, those deals that they've never done a deal before everything, not everything else, but a lot of other things have to be strong in order for me to compensate for that. So again, if 10, th 10 things line up and then to me, it's like a no brainer. And if, you know, only let's say six of them line up, then the six need to compensate for the other four that they don't have. Um, so there's credit score. Um, there's, you know, background check, background check to me is, is non-negotiable. You know, if they've got some criminal past and, you know, there's some things that I feel like they're not on the up and up, then obviously, uh, you know, uh, and same thing with the credit, you know, credit, I'm okay with, you know, a low credit score, um, as long as it's not habitual, right? I mean, if it's medical bills and there's some things that, you know, happen in their life that they just couldn't really control then that's not that big of a deal. Right. Um, and I think probably one of the biggest things that most people don't think about is just, do they have it together? Is, you know, there's that it factor. And when you talk to someone, you probably met, you know, seen this, Mike, when you talk to someone, you probably know whether they have their stuff together. It's the way they talk. It's the way they answer the questions. It's when you ask them for documentation, do they send you everything or do they try and just send you what, you know, they think will just get by and are hiding something, you know, there's that level that when you, when you get into conversations with people, you realize whether they know, do they know what they're doing or what, or do they not? Even some of the most experienced investors I've talked to, if, if I feel like, they're really hard to communicate with. They're not giving me the right answers, you know, that kind of thing. To me, you, just like you said, the person to me is probably one of, if not the biggest factor, because it doesn't matter what you, whether you have a smoking deal or not. If something goes wrong, if, um, you know, if they don't have their stuff together and can't manage the project properly, if they don't, you know, they're not detail oriented to a certain point then again, doesn't matter how good the deal is, it's going to be really hard collecting from them and really hard, um, uh, you know, to do business with them. So again, you know, if all 10 things line up, you know, credit experience, all that kind of stuff, which doesn't usually happen. Usually it's, you know, there's a few things that are missing, but again, if there are some other things that compensate for, like for instance, I've got a deal right now where the loan to value is like 62%, no experience, but they just got a smoking deal. I feel like they have their stuff together, so they don't have experience, but you know what? I'm willing to roll the dice with them because the, the loan to value is so low. And if I have to take the property back, I could probably, which I've had to do a couple of times, I could probably make my money back and then some selling it, um, you know, once I either rehab it or just clean it up and put it back on the market, depending on where, it, where it's at in the project. So, um, so yeah. And you know, I, I love the, I love these deals because you know, like you said, they don't have anywhere else to go for this kind of money. Like there's really no other big company that I know of, um, that does these on a large volume. And that's why I'm trying to fill the gap with that. What with creating a company that people can go to where if they've got a really good deal and need to close on it, they can come to us, even though we're charging high rates, they'd rather pay me, you know, five or 10 grand for my money and make 40 grand on the back end than to make, you know, no money at all. Right. Right. So great commentary. I appreciate um, a lot of the uh, great nuggets you shared. So I think we're on the same page. I, I do agree with a lot of the things you said. This underwriting uh, of the of the person is critical. Uh, and then once in a while, you'll have a deal that is low LTV, right? You can be in second position 
on a low LTV deal, then the collateral itself uh, looks solid. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a great setup. Still, at the end of the day, you, you, you're working with a person who you, you need to have built no like and trust. That's why, in my opinion, it's a relationship, not a product. It's almost, it, again, my two cents, it's hard to underwrite and start this relationship on a gap funding basis. When we know somebody and we've done a number of deals with them, we see exactly how they communicate, the integrity, ability to solve problems. All those things uh, reveal themselves as you work with them. And then you get to pick and choose people who you can continue to work with and, and obviously screen out those uh, who are not the right fit. Mm-hmm. So, but it takes a little bit of time, and that's that initial phase. If you're picking the new relationship and you're trying to develop it, is where you have to be extra careful. But I, I, everything you said makes a ton of sense. Let's now continue this conversation a little bit. So, what do you typically charge when you do a second? Um, do you do equity share? Do you have also a rate on the loan? Just curious, how how do you do that? What do you charge them? Yeah. So what I do is I do a flat fee um, typically for the money. So, you know, I like to, I like to find deals that in the beginning when I was doing these, you know, two or three years ago, I think it was about three years ago, I started doing these loans. Um, I was taking on anything that made sense uh, from a uh, LTV standpoint, loan to value standpoint. But now I've kind of over the last three years really refined down to what were the easiest deals that I did and what made the most sense. So, you know, I did a couple deals where there were big renovations, they were additions and that kind of thing, which ended up working fine. They ended up going from six month projects to 14. So I was able to make, you know, money over the whole 14 months and do, you know, whereas if I would have gotten cashed out in six months, had to find another deal and that kind of thing. So it worked out fine, but you know, it was a newer investor, not a newer investor, but investor that was new to me that when things started going side, not sideways, but like, you know, the, the permits weren't going correctly and the contractors were having issues that I didn't know if I was going to have to take back a project that, you know, had a shell, had a shell and wasn't completed. Right. So for me, I like to do the more simple deals. That's like, you know, carpet, paint, cosmetics. Um, I typically don't like to do additions anymore, that kind of thing. Um, so, so, uh, so I charge anywhere from just a flat fee to a profit share deal. So a profit share deal to me is, you know, over the years, as I've done these, I've realized that newer investors just need way more handholding. Something happens with a contractor, I'm typically coaching them through it. If they can't make the payment on the first loan, then I may have to step in and help them and make that payment just because, you know, they're not, they don't have the assets, right? So they're not bad people. It's just, they just don't, they're very green. So, um, so on the low end, I charge anywhere from, uh, or I charge a, a 20% fee to use the money for six months. Um, so that's a 40% annual ROI minimum. And what I do on those deals is I actually bring investors in to participate on those deals and I'll give them, uh, I'll give them half of that fee for bringing in the money. And my job is to find the deal, underwrite it. Um, I invest my own money in these deals and I underwrite it as if I'm investing my own money, even if I bring other people to invest in these deals as well. And then if anything ever goes sideways, south, uh, you know, I need to collect, I need to take over the project, I'm doing all the work. <clears throat> so if I invest that money into the deal, then I'm getting a 40% uh, ROI minimum. Uh, most of the deals I'm doing that I invest in are about 60 to 80%, 60 to 70%, I would say average. 
Uh, and I've got deals that are over 100% uh, to 200% return because I'm doing profit sharing on those deals. The newer investors that don't have a deal under their belt, but they've got a really good deal um, to present to me. I've even co-signed on loans before because the deals were that good. And for that, I need a, a profit share of the deal. It's anywhere from, you know, 25 to 50%. So, um, so, you know, people will say, well, why would they pay this? You know, why would they pay these rates? Why would they pay this money? And again, like there's typically 30, 40, $50,000 profit in these deals. And rather than them trying to get the whole thing and, and not having the money to do it and getting zero, they'd rather pay me five, 10, 15, 20 grand, whatever the number is to be able to do the deal. Um, than to not be able to do a deal at all. Not only that, but they know how much experience I have. So one of the things is like, okay, if I'm going to come in on this with you, then I want to be a partner in it as well. And I will talk you through anything that you need. I'll show you my systems, my processes and that kind of thing. So um, I know it was kind of a long answer to your question, but it's anywhere from, you know, a flat fee for six months that can be a much bigger uh, return. Actually, I had one deal where someone came to me for a second position um, they ran out of money. The project was complete. I lent them, you know, $30,000 and literally like two days after I lent them the money, they got the property under contract and they cashed me out in, uh, in like 30 days. Um, so the prof, the ROI on that was like 200 and some percent. Yeah. I mean, it was a short time frame, short amount, but still, you know, you do enough of those deals that it really adds up. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so the pricing uh, is logical. I mean, we've done gaps. We generally try to charge, um, you know, forty percent is steep, but we do seconds. You know, we try to charge between you know twenty-four to thirty percent. I mean, that range is one of the reason pushing it to forty. It works really. Size of the deal matters, right? On a small deal, it's return on time, not just the investment, right? So. 40% by itself and there's a flat fee on a small deal is nothing completely crazy about it. So it makes total sense. And then a profit share with the, with, let's just say, or amateurs or rookies or, you know, folks who you have to do some handholding makes a lot of sense because reality you're entering into partnership. They brought the deal, you're bringing in the money, you're partnering with them. I mean, that's the way to think about it. Uh, but the pricing does make sense. Um, the, the other quick question, um, uh, that, that I have, and I've encountered this from time to time. Do you ever have to deal with the local laws? I mean, where, where do you do these deals and what states, number one? The second question, uh, if you're doing purely loan, you may have a kind of a user limit. And if you do partnership, it's different, right? I mean, there's no, the sky's the limit. You could write anything you want as a partnership on the rate. There might be some limitations. Um, I mean, usually is rarely ever enforced, if the, but if the deal goes sour and they complain, I mean, you, you, you might have to deal with a, with a usury limitation. You know, if you charge them 40% and they say, hey, maximum rate in the state is 18, I don't want to pay you anymore. Technically, they can fight you in court and they're probably going to win. I'm just curious mm -hmm. if, you, if you ever encountered that situation. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, so the only state I don't do right now is Oregon. Um, you're supposed to have a, and I, you know, I, I haven't verified this 100%, but um, you have to have a, um, what do you call it? A brick and mortar office to lend in Oregon from what I understand. So that's the only state that I'm not doing right now. Um, but the usury law is interesting because if you look at it state by state, uh, first off, if it's a commercial loan or a, uh, a loan done to an entity, then us usually usury laws don't apply in most states. I would say 
I don't know, 80, at least 80% of states are that way. Um, but even the other, you know, other states that have a usury law, even if it's a commercial loan or to an LLC, um, you're right, it's typically not enforced and not that I want to violate the law by any means, but from what my attorney has, has advised me, my office is in Kansas. So for me, if I'm underwriting loans from my office in Kansas, if I've got an office there and I call that my home office, then I can use Kansas law to lend all over the country. Um, so worst case, let's, you know, and, and he actually has case law. He looks at case law in states to, to make sure that's true and correct. So when we go to a new state, he looks at case law and makes sure that it is true and correct. So there might be some states where they don't have, you know, we don't have the cases to prove it. So then we may revert or may not do a loan in that area because we can't charge the rates we need to. Um, but yeah, we, we underwrite them from Kansas. We use Kansas law. And if anybody ever fought it, then we would just have to go back to the, to, to the maximum rate. Like Texas, for instance, you know, 18% is the maximum in Texas. Um, and again, we feel like, you know, we can do Kansas, uh, Kansas loans uh, or loans underwritten in Kansas there and then charge whatever rates we want to. But let's say they come back and say, hey, you should have only charged 18%. We just pay back the, you know, the money that, you know, that they, that we charge them uh, for that loan. But the chance of that happening is pretty slim. And we feel like, you know, we've done enough research with the law that we, um, that we can use Kansas law in order to, to underwrite these loans. Yeah, great answer. Uh, I'm familiar with the concept. It's, it's funny that you said that, but you can do a note in one state and a mortgage in another state. I mean, we've used this technique a lot of times. You can use a Delaware note and uh, subject to the usury exception a commercial loan, there's no limit. Some states like Nevada, a few other ones have no, no usury limit as long as, um, Nevada is a wild west, right? Nevada has no usury limit at all, but you can have a Nevada note or Delaware note or Kansas note and a mortgage or deed of trust in that state. So the technique is, is generally very sound fundamentals, but if you wind up with a loan you know, in Florida and the, the borrowers in Florida and the properties in Florida, they can try to challenge you saying, hey, the property is here. Florida law applies versus the Kansas law or Delaware law or, or Nevada law. But that aside, I think the theory is pretty sound and the approach is very sound too. If you, you, know, if you feel you're going to fight and litigate, just give them the money back and you know, move on. So 18% is not terrible. So mm -hmm. uh, understood. So let's just quickly, uh, a few more questions. We, we're kind of running out of time, but... Um, how would folks reach out to you if they're interested to invest in some of these deals? Uh, obviously, again, full disclaimer, disclosure, uh, I, you know, I don't endorse this. We, we do some of them. It's a higher risk transactions. Uh, <laughs> anybody who is interested should understand these are uh, second lien loans or equity participation. The risk is higher. But if they work with the right operator uh, like you, they can create, make outsized returns. Uh, with understanding, you know, it's a risk reward type of a balancing act. So, but how would they reach out to you? What's the best way to um, uh, chat with you, ask questions, look at a potential deal if there's interest? Yeah, two ways. One would be uh, just go to tonyjavier.com. That's T-O-N-Y-J-A-V-I-E-R.com. Um, you can learn a little bit more about me and all the stuff that I do for real estate investors. Uh, and then if you, uh, if you're a serious investor uh, and accredited investor, most, you know, probably more what I'd like to teach and coach how to do this. Um, I'd be more than happy to walk you through some of this. Um, you could email me at Tony at prohomebuyer.com. So TonyJavier.com or email me at uh, Tony at prohomebuyer.com. Be more than happy to help you and get on a call with you and, and see how we can 
um, we can help you, uh, you know, invest in some of these deals. Thank you, Tony. Wisdom is much appreciated. Very interesting subject. I have to say that uh, I, you know, we used to do a whole bunch of gaps. We're doing limited amount, but we do on special commercial deals. That's applicable. Mass that number of, uh, as you said, residential deals. Uh, it's still applicable on fix and flips. So the concept is solid. Uh, just <laughs> the key is to underwrite really well. Can't really uh, stress that. But um, great. Again, any final thoughts? Any parting? You know, best book, best you know idea. Just final final thoughts. Oh man, um, I would just say. I mean, just final thought would be there's just so many ways to make money in real estate. So if you're sitting on the sideline right now and you've got money to invest. Um, you know, there's so many ways to, to invest in real estate. I know Mike has funds that he, he runs that you can invest in and be very passive and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, we've got programs that we invest in, you know, invest people's money and, you know, get them a 10 to 50% return on their money, depending on the deal. Um, you know, and then there's also doing the legwork, which most people probably listen in here don't want to do. They probably want the more passive side, but, you know, just do, do, do your due diligence. If you've got the right person operating, um, whatever it is you're investing in, I think that's the number one thing, uh, to look at, because even if, like I said, even if you have a great deal or someone has a great deal, if they're not a good operator or they're not, in, you know, don't have the integrity and that kind of thing, um, then that deal could go south. So first, first would be the person. Um, second would be the deal. And then, you know, obviously a lot of other factors after that. So just do your homework and, you know, make sure that, you know, someone has the track record and, um, is able to fulfill on their promises. Yeah. Great feedback. I completely share the same thing. We talk about underwriting. You always start with a person Two, you start with a deal and third, you start with economics. So if all three, only if all three work out, you do the deal. If any of them falls apart, and integrity just cannot be understated. If you start with the wrong person, then you, you have an adventure with the, with the wrong partner. So yeah. thank you for sharing. Great wisdom. Uh, TonyHavier.com. And uh, appreciate you coming on the show. And we'll, we'll chat again uh, soon. All right. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.